0: Good evening. Good evening. So we were at a, a wedding last Saturday. That's why we weren't here. That's why 20, twenty-five minutes. It's hard to hard to pack in my sermon because I haven't preached in two weeks. I have a lot to say. So, and I'm on day eleven of a fifteen-day fast. So I really don't care that you're hungry. So you're in trouble, right? So, but I do care about Port and this ministry, and it's amazing. And, uh, and I, I'm so glad that we get to partner with them every year. So we are going to try to make sure that we're sticking to 6 o'clock tonight. And uh, uh, last, last week at the wedding, uh, Vanessa got a text from Ethan. And, uh, and uh, how about Steve's message last week? It was awesome, was it not? Oh, it was, it was so good. Listen to it this morning. And uh, so we got a text from Ethan to let us know that service was over and they were going to be heading home and uh, Kelby and Paige were going to be taking care of that for us. And and uh, and Ethan said, we got uh, we got out early. And Vanessa said, what do you mean you got out early? It's 6.30. I mean, and he texted back, well, you know dad. <laughs> so I grabbed the phone and I said, you know I'm sitting next to her, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, that's right. I still haven't gotten him for that. Maybe later. Maybe later. So I do have a gift I want to give out. Is Sarah Goss here? I saw. Is Sarah Goss here? No? Oh, there she is. There she is. This is your pen. I think this is the last City Life pen on the planet. There you go. So Sarah had a birthday this week. I had a birthday this week. And so it was several weeks ago she uh, took a picture of her city life pen. There are some newer pens, but not those. And those are – I like those too. I have one on my desk. I use all the time. And hers had finally ran out of ink. And she said, my favorite pen – Ran out of ink, and so, and I looked in the, I looked for, I looked in the office, I looked in boxes that we had in drawers, I was like, they, all the pens are gone, I was like, I'm not giving her mine, right? And so, they're all gone, and then I, I found, there's a briefcase in my office I most never use, and I had to use it for something, I opened up a zipper pocket, and there, that pen was in there, I was like, God was hiding that pen for Sarah, so, all right, so that's your... That's my giveaway, my giveaway for tonight. So I had a great message that I've been working on for the last few weeks that you don't get to hear tonight because on Friday afternoon... Uh, when I was in the sanctuary at North Riverside Baptist Church where we uh, rent our office space, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that at the end of the service, uh, God just really began to speak to me about something different that he wanted me to share tonight. And so the, the message that I have prepared, we're going to push that down the line because we're in this good news series. And so I'm going to get to that. But I'm excited to share with you what I believe that God has put on my heart for us tonight. And, uh, and so, so in this series, right, we've been using this phrase, I've got good news and bad news. So the bad news, I'm going to give you the bad news first. The bad news is that all of us at some point in our lives have been guilty of idolatry, right? I mean, you've been guilty of idolatry at some point in your life. I've been guilty of idolatry at some point in my life. This is the good news. The good news is that tonight we are going to understand idolatry better ...than we ever have before. Now why is that good news? Because in John 8, 31-32... ...Jesus said this... ...Jesus said to the people who believed in him... ...you are truly my disciples... ...if you remain faithful to my teachings... ...and you will know the truth... And the truth will set you free. So when there's desire for obedience, which I know that you have because you're here and you're not somewhere else, right? If there's desire for obedience and there's revelation, which we're about ready to share in with each other tonight. When there's desire for obedience and revelation, freedom comes. And so my prayer tonight is that we're going to be free from this thing called idolatry like we've never been free from it before. So let me just give you the basic definition. This is the definition that I grew up with, probably something similar to what you grew up with. This is out of New Unger's Bible Dictionary. In a general sense, idolatry is the paying of divine honor to any created thing. It's the ascription of divine power To natural agencies. Now, that's a fancy way of saying uh, that idolatry is worshiping something as God even though it is not God. When you worship something as God and it's not God, that's idolatry. When, When you give something a place of affection and importance in your life that's out of place, that really belongs to God, then it's idolatry, right? So that's why I say, you've committed idolatry at some point in your life, I've committed idolatry at some point in my life, and that's the definition that we've all grown, how many of you have grown up with that definition? It's misplaced worship, right? Anybody else? You grew up with that definition, right? Now, I've always believed that's the definition of idolatry until Friday. I still believe that's the definition of idolatry, but I believe it's only half the definition of idolatry. That There's another piece of understanding what idolatry is that you and I are desperate to know, and I believe that we're going to find it out tonight. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy four, fifteen, fifteen 15 through 20. But be very careful. You did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire on Mount Sinai. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. Whether a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, these are all forms of idols that you shouldn't do. A bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground. So we say no matter how big the idol is or no matter how small the idol is, it doesn't matter, it's still wrong. Or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the forces of heaven don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the people of the earth. Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which is what you are today. Now I want to read verse 21. It doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but it made me laugh on Friday when I was reading it. This is where Moses blames the people for his sin, right? But the Lord was angry with me because of you. See, when you sin, you blame it on the devil. But when a pastor sins, we blame it on the people, right? Because we say, these people that you gave to me have worn me out, and that's why I made a mistake. So that's why, that, that's why we do that. It's right there in the Bible. So was, we're following Moses' example, following his example. All right, so let's, let's get into this. Let's get into this. De- Deuteronomy 14. I'm going to read 14, uh, 4, 16 through 19, but just the first part of verse 19. Picking up in verse 16. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, right? Making an idol in any form. Whether a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, we read all that. Let me jump down to 19a. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. When the Israelites came out of Egypt and Moses went up onto the mountain, he did not come back for a very long time. The people thought he had died, so what did they make? A golden calf, right? They made they made an idol. Right? Because that's what people did in ancient times. Pagan worship was centered around idol worship. So they they went right back to that right away. They make a golden calf, and that has become their God. And so God God knew that this was the predisposition of people. Idolatry is still the predisposition of the human heart today. Now, if you were to read past this chapter and get to verse, I think it's 23 and 24, we're given the reason why we've always been taught that idolatry is bad, because God says, I'm a jealous God. All right, he's saying, "Your, your affection belongs to me, and me alone. So we get that. We understand that. You've, you've grown up being taught that. I've been grown up being taught that. But earlier on in chapter 4, these verses that we're reading now, what we find is that a very different definition of idolatry. It's not to compete with verse 23 and 24, but it's to add to it. This is one of the reasons why we say when you're reading the Bible, don't rush through it. When you're doing your Bible plan, take time. God's going to show you stuff. So let's look at the rest of verse 19. Now watch this. Verse 19. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the forces of heaven, listen to what he says, don't be seduced into worshiping them. What it does not say here is because God is a jealous God. That comes later. Listen to what he says. Because the Lord your God gave them to you. He says the Lord your God gave them to all the people of the earth. And as I was studying that on Friday and praying, I realized what God was saying is that, hey, Idolatry is not just misplaced worship, it's misplaced ownership. It's misplaced ownership. Now why is that important? Why is that important? Because we do not belong to the natural world. The natural world belongs to us. Listen to Genesis 1:28. Then God blessed them and said, "Be fruitful and multiply," talking to Adam and Eve. "Fill the earth and govern it." Rain over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Right, This list seems awfully familiar to the list in Deuteronomy 4, doesn't it? it it's, it's kind of the repeated list of don't make images of these things because you don't belong to those things. Those things belong to you. And what we understand in Genesis 1, when God commanded Adam and Eve to rule and have dominion over the earth, he wasn't just talking about the natural world, he was talking about the whole world and everything in it. You might say, well, Fred, I've never been tempted to carve something that looked like a bird and to begin to pray to it. But birds are not the only thing in this world that sometimes we have a missed sense of ownership with. So let me give you a list that maybe is a little bit more familiar to you. Your body, your emotions, your mind, your home, your possessions, your family, your relationships, your career, your spiritual life. We talk about your body. How about all the appetites that are connected to your body? That's why fasting is such an important part of our spiritual journey. You will never have dominion over the appetites of your physical body until you make fasting a regular part of your life. Idolatry isn't just about misplaced worship. It's about misplaced ownership. And God is saying to the Israelites, and he's saying to us, That if you make idols of these things in the world, your heart will begin to feel as though you belong to them and instead of those things belonging to you. Now that's important for two reasons. One is this, you and I are practicing for something that's called forever. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, right? Before he died, he says, I'm going to prepare something. What was he going to prepare? The book of Revelation tells us he's making ready a new heaven and a new earth. This earth that we're on, it's going away. The heaven that we read about in the Bible, it's going away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God gave us this to practice. To practice. You have a destiny when you get to heaven. You have a purpose when you get to heaven. I have a destiny and a purpose when I get to heaven. Heaven is not winged to angels floating around on clouds. Heaven is a place of activity. Heaven is a place of purpose. Read the book of Revelation. There's a lot going on there, and you're going to be part of it. And so what we're doing right now, this is our learner's permit. Yeah. That means something to me because I have a 15-year-old, and I'm teaching him to drive right now. I, I learned how to drive in Verina. You know, you might not know where that is, but you understand what that sounds like. You got to move for a cow every 10 miles, maybe. There's traffic everywhere in this city. We were driving home from the baseball game last night, right, and on Jefferson Avenue on a Friday night, right? It's, It's like, what in the world? I never realized how complicated driving was until I had to teach someone how to do it. I turned 49 this week. I've been driving since 15 in eight months. You just forget how much you do. Until you realize how little someone else is doing next to you when they're behind the wheel. You should break now. You should break now. You should break now! That's you in your life right now. God says to you with your self-control, you should break now. You should break now. You should break now! Because we're practicing for something that's going to last forever. He lets us make mistakes here. We, we say this to young people all the time. I spoke at a Christian school's chapel on Friday. And, and the, the, the principal said, I'm not going to be in for the chapel service because I've got a couple of kids, or should I say a couple of knuckleheads that I've got to talk to. And I said, well, it's better that they be knuckleheads now when they're 15 than knuckleheads when they're 45. And he said, yep, that's right. And that's what God says to you and me. We're practicing here. This is our learner's permit So God is saying to you, make sure that you understand you don't belong to this world. This world belongs to you. Because when you begin to think that you belong to this world, then you forget that you're responsible for it. And when you forget that you're responsible for it, you stop practicing and being prepared for the eternal purpose that God has been waiting for you to step into from the foundations of the earth. Let me tell you why else it's important to understand who owns who when it comes to this world. The key to not worshiping the things on that list that you and I just read with each other, the key to not worshiping those things is to remember that they belong to you and that you don't belong to them. When you realize that you, do not, you don't belong to your emotions, that you don't belong to your possessions, you don't belong to your family in that sense, then, then it helps you keep things in the right place. If you don't belong to it, then you don't worship it. When you realize it belongs to you, you have a sense of, of a sense of responsibility for it. And you might say, "Well, Fred, you talk a lot about stewardship and divine ownership. So, you 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 always say that God owns everything, and now you're saying that we own everything. Which is it?" My answer is yes. This doesn't violate the concept of stewardship. Stewardship defines my ownership as ultimate responsibility. So this idea of you owning these things, you owning your family belonging to you, your career belonging to you, your emotions belonging to you, it does not infringe upon the concept of sovereign possession or divine ownership. It just means that God has entrusted it to you and you have to function as if you own it even though you know God does because it helps you have a sense of responsibility for it. All right, number two. Deuteronomy 15, six, 4, 15 through 16a. But be very careful, you did not see the Lord's form. This is important. You did not see the Lord's form. They heard his voice. Moses even saw his presence, right? They didn't see his form. On the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire at Mount Sinai. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. Now listen to verse 20. Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people. Listen what it says next? His special possession. It's good, isn't it? Let me, let me read it again. To make you his very own people, his, his special possession. Which is what you are today, and that includes you and me. You know, I've always thought to myself, if they made idols for the purpose of of worship, worshiping God, why would He not like that? Right? I understand the idea of making idols to worship pagan gods, right? But what if what if they were to make something, and then all of a sudden they would say this helps inspire me to worship to worship God? Why, why would why would that be wrong? Because when you can hold it in your hands. Your heart is vulnerable to the belief that I am the owner instead of the one that's being owned. See, when I can hold it in my hands, my heart is vulnerable to the belief that I am the owner instead of the one that's being owned. That's why verse 20 is in here, right? Now, I get it, right? We get to the place where idolatry is this idea that God is a jealous God. But before that, there's this powerful definition that I've, nobody's ever taught it to me. Maybe somebody's taught it to you, but it's news for me. That it's not just about misplaced worship, it's about misplaced ownership. Me having a false sense of ownership with the things of this world, and then me having a false sense of ownership in my relationship with God. God says, hey, don't make idols of these things because you belong to me. That's what God says to us. So I did a little research. Late Friday and this morning. And I thought, you know, whenever the Bible mentions idols, I wonder if there's possessive pronouns that are already always connected with them. You should do it. Go into BibleGateway.com and type in their idols and see how many Bible references come up. One after another, after another, after another, after another. Their idols, their idols. There's one, I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time, but if you're a note taker, Ezekiel 14, four through five. This is the last part. My people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols then in your search in biblegateway.com type in the ark of the covenant and see how many times it's referred to as their ark you know how many times Zero. Zero. the ark of the covenant is mentioned a lot of times in the bible the ark of the covenant the ark but it's always the ark it's never their ark now the ark of the covenant it's important right I mean, you might be able to argue maybe it's kind of like an idol because it represented the power of God and they took it into battle and when they had it in battle, they won. And when they didn't have it in battle, they lost. But God wanted to make sure that they understood that it wasn't an idol because he never called it their ark. He called it the ark because he wanted them to understand you belong to me. I do not belong to you. And you can take that all throughout all the sacred elements of the temple The lampstand, the incense, the showbread, the table, it's never there. There is never a possessive pronoun attached to any of these sacred things because God knew that they would run the risk of getting this idea of ownership mixed up in their head and in their hearts. And that's a huge part of idolatry when then you don't understand who owns who. If I don't fully understand who owns who, if I don't fully understand who owns who, then I will be silent when I should be singing. If I don't fully understand who owns who, then my hands will be in my pockets instead of being raised. When I don't understand who owns who, I'm going to hit that snooze button tomorrow morning 45 times instead of getting up and reading my Bible. When I don't understand who who, owns who, I will be entitled when I should be generous. I will be lazy when I should be serving. I will be isolating when I should be reaching out. I will be silent when I should be evangelizing. And when I don't understand who owns who, I will be standing when I'm supposed to be kneeling. It's powerful, isn't it? When we begin to understand what idolatry is, it's not just about misplaced worship. It's about misplaced ownership. And I would go so far to say, until you understand this idea of ownership, then you will always be guilty of misplaced worship. And I think that's why it's in the order of the, in the text, in the way that it is in Deuteronomy 4. He spends all this time talking about ownership and misplaced ownership before he gets to the place of misplaced worship. Because if I don't understand who owns who, what I own, and who I'm owned by, then my worship is going to be in all the wrong places, or maybe sometimes my worship will just not exist at all. You ever seen the, I need some water. At the wedding on Saturday, they had an, open bar, and I'm, you know, still on my fast, and I thought, well, sh- you know, surely they'll have VA juice at a bar, you know, for certain kind of drinks that somebody told me that goes with that, <laughs> not that I know about any of that myself, so I got up there, I said, I'll take some VA juice, they were like, we don't have VA juice, I'm like, what kind of bar is this, <laughs> you know, I have VA juice, and so then when I got back to the table, I was joking that pastors, we actually need a flask called your fasting flask, right, that you just fill with VA juice, I thought about, I don't have one, I was going to go buy one, and just at the beginning of my sermon, just take a big swig out of it and sit it on here just to just to see what would happen. So V8 juice has never tasted so good as when you're on a fast, has it not? It's delicious stuff. All right. So anyways, have you ever seen the movie The Kingdom of Heaven? Kingdom of Heaven? It's, it's a mediocre movie unless you watch the director's cut. Then it's, then it's pretty good. Ridley Scott's one of my all-time favorite directors. And, and uh, it's an adult movie, so it's not kid-friendly. So just a warning, if you're going to go watch it, it's not for family time. But it, so Kingdom of Heaven. And in, this, in the movie, Liam Neeson is, 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 is giving an oath of knighthood to his son, who's played by Orlando Bloom. And at the end of the oath, what does he do? Anybody familiar with that movie? What does he do to him? Anybody? He smacks him across the face, right? He gives him the oath, and then he smacks him. Anybody seen that? You remember that scene, right? And then he says to him, that's so you'll remember it. Gives him the oath, smacks him. That's what I'm going to do for, my, for Derek when he gets his driver's license, <laughs> right? And that's so you'll remember it, right? I'm just kidding, just kidding. So, so, this, so let, me, let me tell a little story. We're, we're going to be tight. i got about five minutes. It's going to be close. So as I was praying on Friday, God reminded me. I've been in pastoral ministry since 1999, right? Years ago, I was working on this deal with a friend who's a pastor. And in the process of working this deal, this friend of mine goes behind my back, makes his own deal so that I'm cut out completely of the deal, right? When you get betrayed by people that you don't know, it still hurts. But when you get betrayed by people that you love and trust, that pain goes deep, does it not? And that was years ago, and I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus told Peter 70 times 7. He wasn't just talking about, he was talking about 70 times 7 of that person continuum. But he's also talking about 70 times 7 because every time you remember, you have to forgive all over again. And I remember in one of the meetings with this friend to talk about how just shocked and how hurt I was by what he had done. In, in the meeting, and, and at one point in the meeting, I kid you not, this is what he says to me. He says, he says Fred, you're an incredible negotiator. Those 10 years that you spent in, in corporate America before you crossed over into, in, into vocational ministry gives you a, a business acumen that's, that's it's not normal necessary for all pastors to have that. It's an incredible asset that you have. But then he says, and I kid you not, he says, you will never close deals like this you, until you learn how to pray them through. And in that moment, I wanted to reach over that table and see how far my hand could fit down his throat, right? Right? Because I'm thinking to myself, you didn't pray this thing through. You betrayed a friend. And if that's your definition of prayer, I hope you don't pray anymore for the rest of your life. right? And God was reminding me all of that on Friday afternoon. And I, and I couldn't connect the dots, right? I'm trying to feverishly write all of this down. And, and, and God just reminding me of this story. And you know what God spoke to me in that moment? He said, that was me smacking you, just like in that movie. I said, what do you, what do you mean, God? And God said to me, what he did wasn't prayer. What he did wasn't, what he, wasn't prayer. It was betrayal. But what he said to you was true. What he said to you was true. That the greatest things that you will ever accomplish in your life, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, the greatest things that we're ever going to accomplish together in our lives together as a church family, we're going to accomplish them not because we have business acumen, not because we have the best annual report of any church, which we do, not because, right, not because, right, you can go down the list not going to be because they know those things. It's, be, it's going to be because we're willing to get on our knees. The greatest things that we're ever going to do are going to happen because we pray. It's powerful, isn't it? When God smacks, sometimes you, maybe you've been going through something. You, why did you God let me go through that? It's because He's trying to smack you. He's trying to teach you something that's supposed to be a lesson that you're going to live by for the rest of your life. So on. Monday night, the regional elders and the trustees, we're going to be meeting together. We announced this at the business meeting just recently that we are, we are in the process now. We rent office space at North Riverside Baptist Church. So we want to move everything there. That's our Saturday service, our Wednesday youth service. And that church is voting on Wednesday night as to whether or not they're going to accept this proposal. There's going to be some renovations that are done to that space to uh, uh, make room for the kind of technology for who we are as a church. That sanctuary was built, I think, in about 1960, and, and, uh, and it, it, it needs some changes to accommodate a to modern contemporary worship. These are big changes for this church. It's a smaller, older congregation. It can be threatening for a younger congregation like ours that's much larger to come in there. So we're trying to work through all of those dynamics. But you know what? The only way we're going to work through it is on our knees. So they're meeting, we're going to meet on Monday to finalize some details on things, but we're going to meet at 6.30 on Monday. And so I'm just asking you, if you call this your church home, at some point between 6.30 and 7.30 on Monday night, find a moment to pray. Find a moment to pray that, we're gonna, that this thing's going to come through and that we're going to finally not be divided by two different places as a church, but that we're going to have a long-term geographic identity. Just pray for God. See, see this thing through, Right? you're doing grocery shopping and all you can do is cross yourself, give me that. Give me something. Give me something, right? Wednesday, I'm going to ask you to fast in some way. So I'm going to ask you to pray on Monday night, and I'm going to ask you to fast in some way on Wednesday. Even if you just fast lunch, I have it. by the time it gets to Wednesday for me, I will have not eaten for 15 days. So don't complain to me about missing a lunch. I will not care. Don't call me up for encouragement. Fast something, even if the only thing you can do is give up your snacks between meals. Do something, right? So pray at some point between between 6.30 and 7.30 on Monday, because we're going to pray together as a church, right, just wherever you are. We don't have to necessarily be in the same place. God knows. He sees, right? And then on Wednesday, fast in some way. Fast. Jesus said some things that only come about by prayer and fasting. So let's do those things together. I'm asking you that you're going to spend time on your knees with this card. We've been spending time on our knees as a family with this card. This is a card that you get from us every year as a church as we come into the new year. Faith Promise for us is one of the ways that we fund our missions work. It's where we support our missionaries and missions trips. And like when the National Day of Prayer is coming, we donate towards that event. We participate in that event, the the Faith Promise Fund. We raised over $30,000 last year through Faith Promise Giving. Faith Promise is when you pray, God gives you a number. You believe by faith that he's going to provide it. And when he does, you make a promise that you're going to give it to the Faith Promise Initiative. Do not put your name on this card. We don't want to know who you are. We need the numbers back because that helps us create our budget. And we're going to collect these on the first weekend of April. And stories, I've got a story that I've been saving that I'm going to share with you probably in a couple of weeks. So from uh, the end of last year, stories start rolling in. These crazy stories about how money just comes into families. they're, They're amazing. You're not going to have a story like that unless you pray. Get on your knees. Because your money doesn't own you, you own your money. And you're a steward of it because it really belongs to God. And so you've got to ask him, what do you want me to do with these things that belong to you? Faith Promise, don't put your name on here. 2020 Vision. If you participated in 2020 Vision last year, you're done. All the way through 2020. We're only asking people to do this one time. One time as a church member through the year. We raised over $80,000 through 2020 Vision Giving last year. Amazing for the size church we are. Come on. So if you're new or you didn't participate in 2020 vision, then make this year your year, year, and then you're done all the way through 2020. 20, we call it the 2020 vision because by the end of 2020, we want to p- launch as many campuses as we can. That's how the Suffolk campus got launched. We want to launch at least one more campus by the end of 2020. And our school of leadership called Praxis 9, we want to continue to build that. And 2020 vision helps to serve all of those things. Spend time on your knees this week, praying about the numbers that are supposed to go On that card, we're going to be talking about it every week between here and the first weekend of April. Six oh three—that's not too bad. Come on. All right, thank you, honey. All right, this is my closing verse. Some of you said, "Yeah," but you haven't stopped talking yet. So, fair enough. Fair enough. Let me leave you with these two verses. Now, search all of history. from the time God created people on the earth until now. Search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever happened or been seen or heard before? He's talking about the deliverance and the birthing of a nation of Israel. Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials and miraculous signs and wonders of war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. If he did it for them, he's going to do it for you. Verse 35, he showed you these things so that you would know that the Lord is God and that there is no other And I would put on the end of that verse, and we belong to him. Stand with me. Father, I pray that this week, that this understanding of idolatry, that that it's going to stay with us. That we're going to understand that it's not just about misplaced worship, it's about misplaced ownership. Because when we understand who owns who, that we're going to spend time on our knees in your presence. And when we understand that the things in this world that that you've given us stewardship over, that that we're, we're not going to walk away from our responsibility of those things. Help us learn well, God, so that we'll be ready when it's time for us to be there with you where you are forever and ever. And in Jesus' name, his eternal matchless name, we say, and everybody said together, amen.